You are listening to Middle East Monitor Conversations, bringing you lively discussions with prominent voices from the region and beyond as we delve deeper into issues shaping the Middle East and North Africa, from politics to culture and the arts. So, Chris, um, I already know who you are. Everyone already knows who you are. So um, we'll have your introduction. Sure, sure. Chris, um, getting straight into it, um, UNOWA provides crucial day-to-day assistance for the over 2 million Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And right now they're suffering through a dire humanitarian catastrophe amidst the Israeli attacks. And since the start of this phase of the war also, Israel has repeatedly accused UNOWA employees of working for Hamas and proceeded to use it as justification to bomb and attack the organization's facilities across the Gaza Strip, which ha- which has resulted in displacing over hundreds and thousands of Palestinians again and again. Um, and now the UK and the US are among the over 10 countries who have decided to suspend funding. Can you just explain to me um, ultimately what this will be resulting for the Palestinians and not just the Palestinians, but also for the agency too, given that the list of countries who are suspending funding um, consists um, one of its biggest owner, um, donors for the agency um, and how UNOWA is navigating through that. Well, there are several aspects to your question. First of all, the people who will suffer most are those who are going to the food distribution centres, the mothers with their babies, the small children without parents, perhaps, the wounded, the dying, the sick, the elderly, the disabled, and they won't get food, they won't get water, they won't get blankets, they won't get mattresses, Um, the women won't get sanitary products, it'll just be a humiliation and it's the poorest of the poor who will be humiliated in this way and to be very clear this is punitive it's hard to see it in any other way because this is just 12 bad apples if it turns out after the UN inquiry that they are they are who they are and they've done what they have allegedly done but UNRWA has 13,000 staff in Gaza who are working to implement their humanitarian mandate underneath bombs, which include 2,000 pound bombs. So it will impact the most vulnerable and the most fragile for sure, straight away. But it won't just affect Gaza because UNRWA works in the West Bank, it works in Syria, it works in Jordan, and it works in Lebanon. So if this is going to be sustained, then it will be clear that other than UNRWA's emergency programs, which we're talking about in Gaza, but UNRWA also has emergency programs elsewhere, for example, in the West Bank, the occupied West Bank, where there are terrible humanitarian needs, largely or in large part because of the settler violence. You see settlers attacking Palestinians, and of course UNRWA, if they're refugees, needs to go in and help them too. And that number is also spiralling as we're seeing settlers going in with the full protection of the IDF, the Israeli army. So, so humanitarian services of UNRWA will also be threatened there. But apart from the humanitarian service, there's also what UNRWA calls its core services. So education, UNRWA educates well over half a million children in schools across the region every day. Primary health, so the health department, UNRWA has um, just under 150 primary health clinics, again, across the region, and relief and social services. 
So um, core services for the disabled, for people who are vulnerable, fragile, um, work with women, all sorts of programs for vulnerable people. Those programs ultimately will also suffer. And I think it's important to say here that Western governments, the British government and the American government you mentioned in your introduction, they are amongst those who are saying most vociferously to their partners in the Middle East. We just saw Anthony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, go on a whistle-top diplomatic tour of the Middle East. And he was saying repeatedly, we have to avoid a wider conflagration. We have to make sure that we don't see this problem in Gaza, this um, relentless onslaught in Gaza, turn into a war between the Israeli and the Lebanese border, between you know, in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen. I mean, you know, the list goes on. But of course, if what you're trying to do is promote stability, what better way to do that than through the human development, human development work of UNRWA, providing education for the next generation, giving them a sense of hope. And let's be clear, the Palestinian communities, the refugee communities we were talking about, are some of the most marginalised and fragile in the entire region. Look at, I don't know, Sabra and Shatila, the refugee camps in Beirut, in the southern suburbs of Beirut. Look at Yarmouk um, to the south of Damascus. Um, you know, in many ways, the situation there, and I've been to these places, were far worse than the refugee camps in Gaza. So, you know, if what people are trying to do, these donors, um, in punishing the refugees and punishing UNRWA staff, 30,000 staff, their salaries are at risk. If what they're trying to do is create instability and isolation and anger, they're doing a very good job. And that's why I say they need to reverse this decision as quickly as possible, because history has shown that angry, desperate, isolated Palestine communities, refugee communities around the region, those on the border with Israel, for example, inevitably having these populations in a state of desperation, statelessness and dispossession, that is inevitably going to produce trouble on the borders of Israel, the state which certainly America and Britain are trying to do too much, so much to um, secure. And um, I wanted to ask as well, um, we know this is what Israel has been wanting, yes? And um, so it's not new that um, it's Israel's years-long efforts to shut down um, UNRWA and therefore has also repeatedly equated UNRWA staff and members to Hamas. Um, why do you think it's this time that the many Western countries have decided to take this step despite knowing and being made aware of the grave fatal consequences this can lead to? Is timing a crucial factor here, in your opinion? That's a really, really interesting question. I'm not sure I've got a very satisfactory answer, but certainly to be clear, um, Israeli political attacks and accusations against UNRWA always spike when there's an, Israeli, when there's an attack on Gaza. Um, so in part, it is definitely a justification for the wholesale killing and bombing of refugee camps, of killing civilians. And they, you know, they always say, well, that's because there were Hamas operatives amongst them, there were tunnels underneath them. That, of course, would not be a justification under international law for killing civilians, and certainly not killing civilians in those sorts of numbers. And let's remind ourselves, it's well over 25,000, the vast majority of whom, over 70%, are women and children. So really, you know, whatever the policy is in terms of 
um, the terms of engagement, it would seem that those are allowing civilians to be inordinately targeted. Um, but to answer your question, why is this happening now? I think that there was, I think there is an, a political attack on UNRWA's mandate. And I think that's the case because interestingly, when donors in the past have expressed dissatisfaction with UNRWA, um, well, they've never suspended aid quite like this, except the Trump administration in 2018. But that, I think, was just a sort of momentary insanity on behalf of the American um, administration that we saw quite regularly in other aspects of foreign policy under Donald Trump. Um, but by and large, um, donors have been very good with UNRWA and very loyal to the agency. And when problems have arisen in donor relationships, they've generally said, look, there's a problem. Let's work together. Let's fix it. This time round, it's really interesting. They haven't said to UNRWA, if you do that, then we will restore aid. They've made a very vague, they've said things like the Americans have said, we we, we want to see this investigation into the, um, the, the 12 people who've been terminated. And then there's something very vague about, and we'd like to see other reforms in UNRWA. Well, they haven't said what those reforms are. And unless they're very specific, it's going to feel like a moving target for UNRWA. And that's why there is the suspicion that what we're seeing is a political attack. Um, now, in terms of the timing, um, I think there is a real sense that the 7th of October attacks were an earthquake. And I think it's shaken the whole region. And I think that not just the Israeli right, who of course have been insanely fascistic. We saw the meeting in Jerusalem on Monday, where you know ten, I believe it was members of the cabinet or the Knesset certainly um, went to what looked like a kind of Nuremberg rally in which the most extraordinarily fascistic things were said. Frankly, genocidal things at a time when you know the International Court of Justice is has asked Israel, given Israel a month to report back on what it's doing to curtail genocidal practices. Here you have this sort of Nuremberg rally um, in, or Nuremberg-esque rally, I should say, in Jerusalem. But certainly there's a feeling, I think, among donors that on the positive side, I guess, depending where you stand on a two-state solution, there's a sense that um, <clears throat> we have to move the parties towards a two-state solution. And perhaps some people think that, you know, threatening UNRWA and threatening aid to the Palestinian refugees is a way of really concentrating minds on the Palestinian, on the Arab side. But I think that's a miscalculation. I think that the Palestinians will feel very, very threatened. And communities that feel threatened don't regularly come forward and say, oh, yes, let's embrace our brothers on the, you know, the Israeli side and let's do peace. So I think if that is the calculation, I think it's a miscalculation. And I think that if the donors continue with this, I think you're very rapidly going to see serious instability in the camps. If UNRWA reduces services, there'll be more violence, there'll be more bitterness, and there's the risk of more 7th of October style attacks, which is the precise opposite of what the donors are trying to achieve. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I wanted to talk about the, so we're hearing the Arab neighboring Arab countries response to, you know, the Western countries, um, suspending their funding, they're against mm -hmm. they're um calling these governments out, they're encouraging for the resumption of the funding. But um is should this be where the Arab countries limit their response or what can they do now to sort of um make up for what the suspension in funding can result in? 
I think that's a really interesting question, and I'm glad you put it, because I think that one of the things that this episode has highlighted is the vulnerability and the reliance, the reliance on Western donors and the vulnerability that that entails for UNRWA. So when all of your, when the vast majority of your donor base is Western, so Germany, you know, 200 million euros, the Americans, 350 plus million dollars, you've got this sense in which um, that gives the West huge political leverage over the refugees, the refugee issue, the Palestinians, et cetera. And, you know, I've been saying for a long time that what UNRWA needs to do is diversify and broaden the donor, the donor base, to put it, you know, in that kind of donary language. And what that means is getting the Gulfies, getting the Arab world, getting the Islamic world um, to step forward and to fund UNRWA with greater generosity. So, I mean, just a figure here I've got down. In 2022, Saudi Arabia's oil revenues were $311 billion dollars. Well, UNRWA's budget is one point five, an annual budget for everything is one point, <clears throat> excuse me, is 1.5 billion. Um, that is 0.5% of Saudi Arabia's oil revenues. I mean, it's a no brainer. And that's just one Arab country, right? Admittedly, you know, the most oil rich. Um, but the fact is that if the oil bloated gulfies, if that's not too rude, rude a word, way of putting it, but if there's very wealthy oil rich, Arab states wanted to solve UNRWA's financial problem and the current shortfall, they could do it in a heartbeat. And it really wouldn't cost them very much in terms of a percentage of their um, oil revenues. The whole of OPEC, for example, it would be 0.02 of their annual revenues in 2022. That's the latest figures I could get. The real problem, though, and this is an important consideration, is that for Arab states, they always argue that it was the Europeans, brackets the Germans, that did the Holocaust, that drove the Jews into Palestine, that displaced the Palestinians, drove them off their land, and therefore dealing with the consequences of that, i.e. the refugees and paying for UNRWA, is something which the Europeans should foot the bill for. Now, I think the counter-argument to that is that, you know, sorry, Arab states, this is a Middle Eastern problem. You can't, you know, so many years um, after the 1940s carry on saying this is a European problem. That's a very stale argument. I think that it's important for the Arab states to realise that this is in their own backyard, you know, not even in their own backyard. It's sort of in the front garden. Um, you know, you've got the potential for a war between Israel and Lebanon, a war between Iran and, is and Israel. You've got increased tensions within Iraq, within um, Syria. You've got the Houthis in Yemen saying that, you know, they're looking very closely at what's going on in Gaza. So I don't think the Arab states can afford to say, oh, no, 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 that's a Western problem. No, it's a Middle Eastern, it's an Arab problem, and they need to be seized of the matter because... Let's be clear, we are, we are risking <clears throat> a real upsurge in violence in the Middle East. We've already seen it. I mean, you know, when people say, oh, we risk a Middle East war coming, I think you could argue there already is a Middle East war. You know, you've got, you've got rockets flying backwards and forwards between Israel and Lebanon. You've got Israeli um, fighter jets flying over Lebanon. You've got this massive great war going on in Gaza. You've got this terrible unrest and Palestinians being killed in their droves in the West Bank. You've got Houthis shooting at um, you know, drone strikes on shipping interests, Western shipping interests. You've got these British-American strikes in Yemen. I mean, 
you know, at what point do we just say, um, I think that's a war, you know? And at that point, I think the Arab world really does have to get involved. And as I've suggested, they could get involved very simply and frankly, comparatively cheaply by footing a great deal more of the bill for UNRWA. I'm not saying that the Western states, and please make sure to use this, I'm not saying that the Western states should be let off the hook. They should not, um, you know, um, as Desmond Tutu famously said, um, you know, the West should feel guilty um, about what happened to the Jews. They should feel also very guilty about what happened to the Palestinians. So, you know, pressure must be brought to bear, continued pressure brought to bear on the Western states to resume their aid. But I think it's high time that the Arab states realise that this is their problem also, and they need to step up to the plate financially. Thank you, Chris. This was Middle East Monitor Conversations, brought to you by the Middle East Monitor in London. 